Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. Good, good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, as Josh said, today's kind of a special day for me. Uh, may not be as special for some of you. It's funny, you can laugh, it's all right. Um, but man, it's, it's been a great year. I want to say thank you so much for uh, the fact that a, a year ago today, you took a chance on me and you've given me the opportunity to be your pastor. And uh, I tell you what, it's been a great year. Um, there's, there's been a lot of, lot of laughter, a lot of joy in our house, a lot of fun in the staff. I've seen God do a lot of things. Um, and I'm so thankful to get to be a part of, of God's story here at First Baptist Belton as we continue our rich history in this community and all across the world. So thank you so much for that and entrusting me to lead this church. Uh, it's no small task, um, but I'm thankful that it's God's church and we just get to be a part of what God's doing. And so thank you for that so much. Um, if you've been here with, the, with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been in our Discipleship Pathway series. Um, we've entitled that series, The Pathway to Purpose. And the reason being, the reason why we've, we've said that is because what we believe is that these four major steps are, are what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. And so we want you as a church, both collectively and individually, we want to be a church that follows Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's the goal after all. That's God's expectation for us is that we would follow him. If we're a disciple, that means we're a learner, we're a follower. So this is what that looks like. This is how we do it. And so we've talked about the fact that embedded in each one of these major, major points are two steps. So there's eight steps in all. Uh, the first one is that you would connect with God through beginning a relationship with Jesus. You may recall that, right? If, if you don't get that right, everything else doesn't really matter, does it? We got to get that right. We've got to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's, that's where we say yes to him. Yes, I want to give you my life. I'm surrendering my life to you, and I'm going to follow you. And then from there, we talked about the importance of committing your life to the cause of Jesus, right? To see the gospel made known all over the world, all over the globe. And we've talked about the importance of, of committing yourself to a people into that mission, a unique mission that God has given to us here at First Baptist Belton. So we've talked about the role of, man, join a church, be all in with the church, be in with the people, be in with the mission, right? And then we talked about the importance of, of putting yourself in a place to grow in your knowledge and love for God, right? That, that way you, you can grow in your knowledge of, of Him through by studying and reading the Word and growing in your knowledge of the Word. And ultimately, that ought to lead you to love God more. And then from there, that ought to lead you to a place where you love people better, right? Where you love people more. As we learn to love God, uh, we get that vertical relationship with God right. It ought to impact our horizontal relationships with others. And you ought to be growing in your love for people. And here's the deal. If you're not growing in your love for people, then there's something wrong with your theology, right? That's, that's a true statement, right? If, if you're not growing in love with people, then you need to go back and say, well, maybe something's not quite right here vertically. 
So we talked about connecting with Jesus, connecting with his people, uh, growing in love with God, love with people. But then outside of that, right, there's this expectation that Christians, followers of Jesus, would serve the body, serve his body. But not only is that an expectation, but I also remind you that by the nature of you saying yes to Jesus, he has given you his spirit to take up residence in you. And by the nature of that, he has given you a gift to serve the people for the common good. So each and every one of you who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus have been given a gift. And so while everyone in your circle might not say that you're gifted, I'm telling you that you are incredibly gifted by the Holy Spirit, which is really, really great. But we're to exercise that gift, right? Not just let it sit on the sideline. We need to exercise that that gift. And then last week, we talked about the uh, sixth step. And that is that we as a church need to take ownership and responsibility for our community, right? You may recall I said something like this, that if we don't, who else will, right? As a church, it's our role and our responsibility to understand that God has placed us in this community for this time, for such a time as this, to make a difference, to make an impact in our community, Now, this morning, what I want to talk about is how we share our purpose, right? So we're going to be talking about how, sure, we're supposed to serve our community, but the best way that you and I serve our community is to be a church that's about the gospel, to be a church that lives sent, as we're going to talk about today, as we seek to to see our community come to know Jesus, come to be reconciled with Him. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, For better or worse, if you haven't figured this out by now in a year, I am a planner. I like to make a good plan. I've always heard that any good plan has a plan A and a plan B, right? Plan A is the ideal plan. This is what we want to accomplish. This is the goal. This is what we're hoping to get to. Plan B is is that plan that, well, if plan A doesn't work out the way I thought it would, plan B is right here ready to, to take over and Lord willing will get us to that desired goal. Well, what you need to know when it comes to mission, there's only one plan A. There's only one. And I'm looking at it. You getting it? Yep. There's only one plan A. And that's you, and that's me, that's us as a church. God has placed us here on this earth for such a time as this to be plan A, to see all things made new, and that begins with us having the boldness and the courage to take the faith that has transformed us and to share it with our friends and with our family and with our coworkers and our neighbors and with those that we're, uh, we live, work, and play with at, at the ball fields and all the different things. And so you're going to get so tired of hearing me say that today because I'm going to talk about it a lot because it's important. It's important. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk through Matthew 28. So if you've got a Bible, I hope you do. Go ahead and meet me there. Matthew 28. We're going to begin in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, to many of us in this room, this is called the Great Commission. You want to know why? This is not a trick question. Because this is Jesus' commission to his followers. I know, we're really, really creative. Really creative. Jesus gathers up his disciples, gathers up his followers, and he gives them a commission. As his soldiers, so to speak, he says, okay, here's... 
now, now that all this has happened, here's your, here's your marching orders, so to speak. But I also want you to hear this this morning because this is really important as well. Not only was it the commission given to the disciples in the near ancient East, it is also readily applicable to you and me today. Today, this is our mission statement. And it's not something that's a fancy tagline that we put on our website or on the podcast or whatever it is that we do. This is why we exist on this earth. Okay, this is why we are here in this community. So, with all that being said, this is our commission. Let's begin in verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. Oh, I just love that. I, I love the fact that when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. Now remember, I want, you to, I want you to think back with me. I want you to recall the events that have taken place up to this point. So how did we get to Matthew 28, verse 16? Well, here's what's happened. Notice that Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Soldiers have come into the garden. They have taken Jesus. They've taken him from the disciples. He's been put on trial before the people. As a result, he's publicly humiliated He's tortured in front of the public. They watched the man in whom they believed to be their Messiah nailed upon a cross, killed, and not moments after that, buried in a tomb. They saw this with their own eyes. This man that they had given up their homes, they had given up their work lives. They've given up their families. Many of them had families. They gave up their families all to follow Jesus, and they find themselves standing before a Roman cross where the Messiah, they believed to be the one who was going to come to establish the reign and rule of God on this earth to redeem them. Here he is before their eyes killed and buried in a tomb. To make matters even worse, think about this. One of their very own, one of the twelve, the reason why they're in this whole mess in the first place is because he had betrayed not only Jesus, but betrayed all of them, betrayed their trust. I can imagine that even many of the disciples who were still there, the 11, are also feeling the weight of the fact that at Jesus' most trying hour, they too had deserted him. And Peter, for one, who had completely denied him, so I'm sure there's a lot of weight, a lot of uh, grieving in the process as many of them had, had deserted, uh, deserted Jesus in the time when he needed them the most. I think about that. I picture just after those events that the disciples sitting in a dimly writ, lit room, you know, many of them are probably looking at each other going, Man, well, what's, what do we do now? Was it all worth it? I mean, did, did we miss it? Did we get something wrong? How are we going to go back and are we going to have jobs when we get home? How are we going to explain this to our families? 
I imagine it's a a pretty hopeless feeling situation. Then all of a sudden, frantically at the door, they hear a banging on the door and, and, and not, uh, not sure whether or not it's soldiers coming to get them and they're going to be next or, or what might be on the other side of that door. But somebody opens the door, the other disciples run into the room and they're, they're saying, hey, you'll, you'll never believe what just happened. The, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's alive. I can't imagine the confusion that must have been in their minds and their hearts at that point as they hear these words that, that, that the one that they just saw killed and buried in a tomb and, and, and a, a, a stone rolled across the door of the tomb and guards standing at the door. Wait, he's alive? You've talked with him? And it wasn't many moments later that Jesus himself shows up and he shows them the wounds in his hands, the holes in his hands, the wound in his side. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, distraught. I would be distraught. Would you be distraught? And he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Gather up all the disciples and I want you to meet me at the Sea of Galilee. And I'm going I'm to gather everybody together and I'm going to give you some instructions and so that's what the disciples do. I mean, if, if you had seen a dead man come, man come to life and he tells you to do something, I'm pretty sure you're probably going to do it. And so sure enough, they do it. They go and they, they meet him at the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus shows up and the first, things, first words that come out of his mouth are all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Those are the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what Jesus is communicating to them is that he has ushered in his reign and rule in his person. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount series, we talked about that. right? That when Jesus comes to the earth, he is ushering his reign and rule onto the earth. But here, Jesus is declaring that he has now established that reign and rule on earth. All authority, not a little bit, all of it, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. And what I want you to see is point number one. I want you to see that our mission, the foundation of our mission is the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. The reason why there is a therefore in this text is because our going is predicated on his authority. So our being able to go is only possible because Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. You know, one theologian, he wrote it this way, and I, I can't say it any better, so I'm just going to read it. He said, it was by this preface that Christ not only encouraged the apostles to full confidence in the discharge of their office, but he confirmed the faith of his gospel in all ages. Never, certainly, would the apostles have had sufficient confidence to undertake such an arduous office if they had not known that their protector sits in heaven. Would you think about that? And that the highest authority is given to him. For without such a support, it would not have been possible for them to make any progress. And so it is our mission as a church begins with the authority of Jesus, but I want you to hear that it is only possible because of the authority of Jesus. See, that's the reason why you and I can take the gospel into the workplace 
And we can take the gospel into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our families, because all authority has been given to him. It's also the reason why we can go to the middle of Afghanistan and we can preach the gospel boldly and courageously in the middle of the street corner because all authority has been given to Jesus. It's the reason why in jail cells all across the world that God is actively working and moving amongst prisoners. Paul is a great example of that. We can boldly proclaim the gospel wherever we go without fear of persecution because here's the truth. What are you going to do to us? Kill us? Okay, then I get to go be with Jesus. You're going to imprison me? Great, well, I'll proclaim the gospel there and the whole jail will come to know Jesus. Isn't that what happens with Paul? See, the, the truth of the matter is, is that because all authority has been given to Jesus, the gospel knows no bounds. The gospel knows no bounds. There is nothing that can hinder the gospel moving forward. So you and I play with a winning scorecard. And we can play with great confidence, resting in the authority of Jesus. But you know, it also does a, it also breathes some life and some relief to you and me as well. Knowing that all authority has been given to Jesus, you know what that helps us do? It reminds us that I can't save anyone and you can't save anyone. The authority to save rests with Jesus and Him alone. So here's what's great, right? I think so oftentimes, you know, I, I know I have felt this in my life. Maybe you've probably experienced this too of feeling like I've got to dress up the gospel. I've got to make it, I've got to make it appealing. Because if I don't make it appealing, then they're not going to believe. But what we're doing is we're placing the authority to save on us rather than on Him and in some ways, we kind of become like a, a used car salesman, right? This idea of I've got to dress up this car and make it maybe look a little bit better than what it is, all so that it'll be compelling enough so that the prospective buyer will buy it and, and, and I make a sale. But the reality is, is that the authority belongs to Jesus. And so you and I can take a deep breath of fresh air and say, you know what? The weight of people's salvation doesn't belong to me, but rather it belongs to Him. I am simply to be a faithful messenger. That's all the expectation on us is just to be faithful witnesses, to be a faithful witness of the gospel message that has transformed your life. Our mission begins with the authority of Jesus. It's only possible by the authority of Jesus. But then also, we see that our mission is to go. That's point number two. Point number two this morning is that our mission is to go. The word go here implies action. Action. In the Greek language, this can be translated as you go. But nevertheless, to go and to make disciples takes initiative on our part, both individually and collectively. It's going to take action. It's going to take action on our behalf. And so as we go about normal life at school, at work, in our homes, neighborhoods, our communities, on the ball fields, wherever it is that we are, as we go, grocery store, all of the places that you and I go just for normal life, we are to be equipped with the mindset that I am not there just to get groceries. 
I am not there just to be on the ball field. I am not there just to collect a check. I am not there just to be a neighbor. I am there because God has sent me to be there for his glory and for the good of all people. And that begins with being a gospel witness. We are ministers of reconciliation. If you are a Christian in the room, you are a minister of, gospel, of, of God's reconciliation on this earth. You're a minister of reconciliation. We cannot, nor can we ever forget that that is true of us. Now, I want you to imagine something. Okay, so Jesus gathers up his disciples. He says, hey, go to, go to the Sea of Galilee, go right there on the shore, right there by the mound. I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna give you some instructions. And Jesus shows up and he says, okay, all right, guys, here's the deal. Here's your marching orders. I want y'all to stay right here. I want you to stay right here. And, and, and all the lost people are gonna come to you. He didn't say that, does he? Now remember, all authority is given to Jesus. He has the authority. Could he do that? Absolutely. Absolutely he could. He could 100% do that, but he doesn't do that. What Jesus tells his disciples then and what he's telling us now is that we have to go. We have to go. Church, this is our charge. We have to go. We cannot sit and wait for them to come to us. We have to go. I want you to think about this. How effective of a mission strategy would it be that if God called me and my family, let's just say God has a sense of humor. He does. We know that. He called me to be your pastor, so he's got a sense of humor. But let's just say he has even more of a sense of humor, and he says, okay, Reynolds family, you're going to the mission field, and you're going to pick up everything you've got, and you're going to go to the other part of the world. Now, let's just say that God calls me to do that, calls us to do that, and we show up, and we find this really nice apartment, and I mean, it's a nice apartment, right? It's a really nice apartment right there in the center of town, right there with a lot of great influence, right there where, where all the people live and do all their stuff, and let's just say that we show up there, and, and our family is eager to share the gospel, but, but we get there and we decide, you know what, I'm going to sit in this apartment. It's a really nice apartment. It's really comfortable in here. How effective of a missionary strategy would that be if I don't ever get out of my apartment, make connections, and share the gospel? Well, I, I would imagine it wouldn't go very far. I would imagine the IMB would say, hey man, uh, I think we're going to need to go a different direction. <laughs> How effective would it be that if, when I did get out of the apartment, man, I ran to, ran to the grocery store as quickly as I could, got everything that I needed, man, ran right back to my apartment. Or ran to my workplace, and man, I ran to the workplace, I did everything that I could do at work, and then, man, I ran right back to the apartment. With little awareness of the fact that all of these people around me are lost and they're apart from God. I would think that that would be a pretty poor mission strategy. Now, in the same way, in the same way, how can we expect or how effective of a mission strategy is it that if we stay in these walls, as nice as these walls are, we got some leaks, but that's all right, we're working on it, right? We stay in these walls and we think, okay, you know what? Well, we're just going to, we're going to wait 
and we're going to let them come to us. It's probably not a great mission strategy. Because there are people in our community who are far from God. And if we don't take this commission, these marching orders seriously, they're going to die apart from God. Let that sit on you a little bit. The call that you and I have in the Great Commission is to not stay. It's to go. It's to go. And here's the reason why. We no longer live in an era where people who are lost are flocking to the church. I'm sorry that that's not the case, but it's true. And as a church, we have to accept that. We have to accept the truth that lost people are not coming to the church. There's a ton, ton of, of reasons for that, but they're not coming here. They're not. But just because we accept that that is true does not mean we have to settle for it. Just like I talked last week, we can't sit and think about, man, the good old days when, man, lost people really did. They, would, they flocked to the church, and man, it, there was powerful movements of God in the church. We are moving away from that. We are now moving into an apostolic era where we have to live sent. And that leads me to point number three, that Jesus gives us the aim for our mission, and that is all nations. He tells us, he tells the disciples that they are to go and to make disciples of all nations, which means our aim as a church is to see all nations, all tribes, all tongues come to know and follow Jesus. Jesus gives us a vision for that. He doesn't just leave us out to dry and say, hey, this is the calling, but he even, he even kind of gives us the plan A. He says plan A is you taking the gospel from here to there. He, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he casts this beautiful vision. He says, you are to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the same way, we have to take the gospel to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, to our Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So if you're wondering, well, Logan, what do you mean? What, what is our Jerusalem? Well, our Jerusalem is our backyard. It's here. It's this community. It's Belton, Texas. It's Temple, Texas. It's Bell County. It's Colleen. It's Harker Heights. It's right here, Salado. Bell County. That's our Jerusalem. We need to have the mind of a missionary that this is, this is our Jerusalem to take the gospel witness to this county. And then from there, to Judea, that's Texas. Let's take the gospel to Texas. Let's take the gospel to the great state of Texas. By the way, did you know that we're right in the heart of it? Right on 35. How powerful is that? Who could ever think that a church in Belton, Texas could make a gospel impact in the great state of Texas? Well, I'll tell you what, we sure can. 
because we're right in the heart of it. And I don't know a whole lot about anatomy, but I know that blood flows to and from the heart. And if this is the heart of Texas, and we have the mindset of a missionary, I don't see any reason why the gospel can't flow to and from Belton, Texas. That's our Judea. Samaria. What's our Samaria? United States. We're going to be passionate about the gospel going to the United States and then to the ends of the earth. Now again, as I mentioned earlier, we have entered into a unique time, a unique era in church history. We have. We've returned to what is the, called the apostolic era, which means that we have to be a people who live sent. To be an apostle is to be a sent one. We've got to live sent. We can't wait for them to come to us. We've got to go to them. We've got to understand that within the walls of a church building is not the only place that people are saved. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this, but before Billy Graham passed away, he said that the next great awakening is going to happen in the workplace. That's powerful. I think he's right. I think it's when we take the gospel to our workplaces, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our communities, to the ball field, that's where we're going to see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. It's not to say it's not going to happen here because it's going to happen here. But we can't wait for that to happen. We've got to go to them. Now, here's the reason why. So a few weeks ago, Jordan and I, we drove up to Kansas City for me to go to school. On our way home, we got back in Belton at the wee hours of that Sunday morning, and so I'm driving through um, Belton, Texas on that Sunday morning. Belton, about the same time that you were all meeting for church. And here's what I saw. Walmart's parking lot, packed. HEB, packed. Goodness sakes, the garage, or the, the car wash the line was longer to that than I've ever seen it on a Saturday morning. Tons of traffic in the street. You know, and I don't know if you remember, but there used to be a day when, when man, if you were driving around on a Sunday morning, it was like a ghost town. Y'all remember those days? I remember those days to the point where if you skipped church, you wouldn't leave the house because you didn't want, to see, you didn't want anybody in the, in the community to see that you skipped church. Like there used to be this thing where there was kind of like some social capital when, when you went to church. You could say, oh, well, I'm a member of First Baptist Belton. And for whatever reason, people would be like, oh, wow, that's great. Okay. You know? What I'm trying to say is that as I drove through Belton, it just hit me funny. I was like, wow. There's a lot of people in this community that are far from God. And then the other night, so, you know, Halloween and all the fun stuff. So Jordan and I and the kids, we all get all dressed up and uh, we're heading downtown Belton to do the square and thinking, oh man, this could be fun to do the little trail of candy and sugar and cavities. And, and so we show up down there and I'm there for probably an hour and a half and I don't see anybody I know, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but what it does mean is that typically when I go somewhere in Belton, there is some, I mean, look at all these people here. There's a lot of folks. Usually I'm going to see somebody I know, or if I don't know you, you say, hey, Pastor Logan. And I say, hey, and, and it didn't happen that night. 
As a matter of fact, I looked around and I thought, man, who are all these people? And I don't know if they're far from God or not, but here's what I do know. I'm not looking at any of their faces in this room. And maybe they're at another church, and praise God if they are. But what if they're not? And what if we are allowing our comfort to wait for them to come to us, to be the thing that prevents them from having an opportunity to encountering the living Jesus and being transformed by His authority and His power? We, as a church, have to live sent. We've got to take it seriously. Like the rest of our country, as wonderful as it is, it's becoming ever more far from God. And like I said last week, if the church doesn't step up and be the church, I mean, nobody else has that responsibility. Nobody else, apart from the people of God, have been given the message of God for the people in the world than us. And so as crazy as it sounds, as scary as it might sound for all of my introverts in the room, God has called us, you and me, to be plan A. To be the primary vehicle to share the gospel in our community, in our state, in our country, to the ends of the earth. We are plan A. Now, that's Jerusalem, right here in our community. Now, here's what we're doing in Judea and Samaria and what we're going to continue to do. So, as a church, we're going to continue planting churches all over the world. We're going to continue our identity as a church planting church. That's how we're going, to, we're going to make an impact through planting churches. And we're going to do that all over the world. We've planted Renewal Church, and Renewal is, is doing well. It's great. They're reaching folks. We've, we've also been in the revitalization business, so to speak. We've, we've revitalized Grace Community in, in, uh, in Salado, um, New Sunset in Colleen. And man, they're doing awesome things. God's doing great things among those people. Um, they're sharing the gospel and people are coming to know Christ. Their churches are growing and praise God for that. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to plant churches. We're going to continue to revitalize churches. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we're in the process of adopting two new church planters in Puerto Rico. How about that? Well, we're going to see them plant churches. Young guys are going to plant churches and they're going to uh, raise up people in their church to do the same thing that I'm telling you to do today. And we're going to see people come to know Christ. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to give you the reports of all that as as the Lord leads us. We're going to continue our partnerships all across the globe. We have partnerships and and church plants from Seattle all the way to El Paso, Texas. How about that? That's pretty cool. We're going to continue to focus our efforts on seeing the good news proclaimed in all the world by continuing partnerships in Haiti, Moldova, Africa, Indonesia, India, Taiwan, and even China. The gospel knows no bounds, and we don't either. It's great. Not to mention all that we do in partnership with the North American Mission Board, which, by the way, are doing great things. North American Mission Board, in other words, known as NAM, is doing great things as they see people come to know Christ. They're planting churches. It's awesome. The IMB, we're going to continue our partnership with them, which, by the way, is still, I believe, the greatest missionary um, 
institute in all of the world. They do things better than anybody else. By the way, did you know that when you pray and when you give to this church, that money goes to us and goes straight to seeing what we're talking about happen all over the globe? It's incredible that your dollars, when you give, impact this community in a huge way. Maybe you saw that at our picnic uh, last week. See all the mission partners, our local partners. You saw how, how our money that we give, that you and I give every week, every month, is going to make this community a better place, but also it's going to reach to the ends of the earth. Your dollar here goes to the ends of the earth. That's incredible that we can do that. It's awesome. It's how we're reaching the ends of the earth as you and I give to this ministry plan to see the world come to know Jesus. In addition, we're going to have some mission trips coming up in, in 2023. I want you to be on them. May I pray. Ask the Lord, Lord, would you have me go on these, on, on these mission trips? Listen, I can tell you, I've never met a person who's been on a short-term mission trip who has regretted that decision, nor have they not been transformed. I'm telling you, it's amazing, because you know what? You learn that you can do it over there, and so you can do it here. You get inspired by these people, and those people, the craziest thing about a mission trip is oftentimes you go to help somebody else, and it ends up transforming you, and it ends up transforming our community, which is incredible. And so as we're thinking about and living on mission, here's what I want you to remember. It's a quote from the IMB, and they just say it really, really well, so I'm going to, again, quote them. The greatest problem facing mankind is not a natural disaster, a humanitarian crisis, or political instability. The greatest problem in the world is lostness. The greatest problem that humanity faces is the fact that they're far from God. It's not putting all my chips in a particular brand, politician, or anything else that's going to solve these problems. I'm telling you, the thing that's going to solve the problems is when those who are far from God come near to God, and they're transformed, and their way of thinking is aligned with God's way of thinking, and then all of a sudden, our country is transformed. So we give we go, we pray to that end, that people who are far from God might be brought near to God, and in being brought near to God, that they might encounter the power of God and be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. Because what happens is that the world then becomes aligned with God and His will, and that is His end goal, that all might come to know and follow Jesus. So church, that is our commission. That is our mission as a church, both collectively and individually. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a step, okay? We've been talking a lot about steps, so I'm going to add another step to you. Here's your step. Guys, if y'all would put that slide on the screen for me. There we go. All right. If you want to know, okay, where do I begin Here's where you begin. This is called your relational network, okay? It's your relational network. What I want you to do is I want you to put your name right there in the center of that circle. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, who in my life is far from God? There's at least four categories that all of us have in our lives. You have 
your hobbies and activities, you have your neighborhood, you have your workplace, your school, you have family. So who in your world of hobbies and activities, who there is far from God? Who in your neighborhood, one person that you know of that's far from God? Who's the one person in your family that's far from God? Who's the one person that you know of in your workplace that's far from God? And then you put their names in those circles, and then here's what you do. Then you ask yourself the question, who do I know that's in their life that's far from God? Because here's what's going to happen. See, as you begin praying for them, you pray for them, and you pray for them, and you pray for them, and God opens the door, and then you're faithful to step through that door, and you begin to share the gospel with them, and they believe. Here's what happens. Then you go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Now I want you to build your relational network and you go to the people who are far from God in your life. And then all of a sudden in our community, we now have a movement of people who are sharing the gospel with those who are far from God in their life. They're believing and our community is slowly and surely being transformed by the power of God. So this is your relational network. If you want, you can take a picture of that. I can, I can send it to you. If you want to shoot me an email, I'll send it to you. But, but this is what we're going to do, and this is how you do it. Here's your next step after this. So once you build your relational network, here's what I want you to think about. Sharing the gospel is not rocket science. It feels like it is because it feels like, wow, there's a lot of great weight and pressure on this, and there is. Heaven and hell weigh in the balance. Yet at the same time, it's as simple as just coming along somebody that you have a relationship with and saying something like this. You know, there was a time in my life when I was filled with anxiety and I was carrying the weight of the world's shoulders or the weight of the world on my shoulders. I was frustrated and angry. But then I met Jesus and he came into my life and he began to transform me from the inside out. I, come to, I came to learn that the God of the universe loves me, and he loves me so much that he gave his son Jesus to, to come to this earth, to give his life for me, to pay for my sin that once separated me from God. And I put my faith and trust in him, and because I did that, I have been transformed. I'm, I'm no longer living under the weight of my sin and my shame and carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and that anxiety and that fear, but now I'm living in freedom and joy and peace. And then you just simply say something like this. Is that your story? Do you have a story like that? And here's what happens. One of two things is going to happen. That person's going to go, well, yeah, I do. And then they're going to tell you their story. And you know what? You're going to be edified. You're going to be blessed by that. On the other end, they may say, well, no, I don't. And you just simply say, hey, can I tell you how Jesus can transform your, how Jesus can transform your life? And you just simply, again, reiterate your story of how Jesus came into your life, rearranged the, the priorities of your heart, gave your life to him and how he transformed you. And I just tell you, there's nothing more powerful. By the way, did you know that the number one form of advertising is still word of mouth? Pretty awesome. When you step in through the door, as God leads you, as he opens that door, you step through it, and you just simply just say, hey, you know what? I want to tell you about how my life has been transformed. But here's the catch. Your life has to have been transformed for you to share how your life has been transformed. I hope that each of you have experienced God's transforming power in your life because it's hard to share something that you haven't experienced. 
And so my prayer today is that if you've never made that decision, if you've never put your faith and trust, and truly you've never begun that relationship, you've never been transformed, and you have nothing to share in that little statement that I gave you. Listen, I would love to tell you today how your life can be transformed. Because it's, it's so powerful that a life transformed goes into the community with the relationship, the relational network that you have, and shares how God can transform you the way he's transformed me. There's nothing more powerful than that. And so church, we have to live sent. Not going to wait for them to come to us. We're going to them. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. God, that you have called us to be transformed by the power of your Son, via the power of the Spirit, God. And, and Father, as we live obedient to this commission, this calling that you've placed on our life, God, help us to rest in your authority. Help us to take the initiative to go. God, and I pray that you would send us to all nations. God, I pray that we would get to take part in seeing all nations come to know and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.